Hey, friends. It is JSF with my dear friend, John Michael. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How you doing? I'm doing great. It's been a while, though, right? Like... <laughs> yeah, it has, you know? So, um, oof. yeah, so I guess we should let you all in. So we talked about earlier in the season, we'd have um, uh, more of an organic flow. So we try to have it more consistent than we have since our we started, but literally right after the release of our last episode, we've had several back to back to back family emergencies from um, yeah. like multiple of us. So it just we weren't going to be able to, so we had to roll with it. But that's the whole thing. So we're just um, we're plugging through. We're a community of deviants, so we're here now, and we'll keep we it are. moving. And like we said, we'd have a three on three off or however many we'll keep you in the loop. And for all of you that have reached out um, throughout our time via email, we've answered every, every email um, tweet that we tried all of our social. So always feel like you can reach out. If you ever have questions, you're like, Oh, did I miss something or whatever? Just hit us up. I guarantee you, we will answer you. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, so this week though, yeah. um, By the way. Oh yeah. Side note. Check our byline, our our notes below to see our social um, and all of our info. You want to reach out to us? It's there. Got to do my duties there. And now, Justin, let's bring us up. What are we? What are we talking about this week? Yeah. So this week we we had quite the conversation about deconstruction. Um, it mm-hmm. was it was great. Well, the start um, of it. Yeah, it was really yeah, cathartic so, in a lot of ways. Yeah, and just I think yeah it it's such a a necessary topic i feel like as far as like making sure that it 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 seems really appropriate for us as you know like i I think it kind of hits right at the core of like who we are and our Mm -hmm. name like like like-minded deviants what are we deviating from and what does that process look like and so the topic of this week i think if you remember from um our last episode we kind of begin to delve into deconstruction and so Mm -hmm. Uh, the first part of the, this episode is really almost more so in the classroom. Lindy kind of revisits a little bit of this framework. We walk through that. And then after that, we kind of get, we get it, not kind of, we do get into <laughs> what I thought was a very good conversation. Um, yeah, it was really, a lot of fun. Yeah. And I think what's really helpful for that, for kind of the conversation at the end of this episode is that it ends up being a springboard for 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 kind of next week that I'm really looking forward to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of it, yeah, we talk about just the importance of, you know, kind of the ebbs and flows, not necessarily ebbs and flows and just faith and such, but like, and maybe ebbs and flows isn't good, but we talk about the progression and the growth, right? In right. your faith journey. We always talk about changing the metaphor, walking on a pilgrimage, you know, getting out of that. We're in that castle or, or cloistered off or in the fortress huddled away. But the thing is we went out on the pilgrimage. Right. And so I think on this one, we kind of talk a bit about that and we talk about deconstructing kind of what we've had, the importance of that as one goes through their faith journey. But the other point is like not staying there. Right. So mm. and that's not necessarily where we end up going in this particular episode. We talk about that. We talk about like a whole background. And then we want to make sure, you know, we give good credence to like, all right, where we arrive is we want to talk about reconstructing. Right. And that's where you really do 
need yeah. the community of like-minded deviants to do that. Yeah, absolutely. So we do we do kind of delve into all of this deconstruction. We kind of look at this um, continuum of kind of where where some people start, um, where a lot of people kind of live in the realm of evangelicalism, and then what it looks like to deconstruct away from that as you're progressing through this continuum, and then actually begin to reconstruct something beautiful. Um, and so, yeah, we don't want to really spoil anything cause it is, it is a good episode. So please listen, um, give it a listen and make sure you also tune in for our follow-up episode, because as much as I like this one, I'm super excited to record and release that one. I think that is going to be, honestly, I think edificial and like beneficial to me personally, um, kind of based on what we're planning on talking about. And it's just something that I'm, I'm really passionate about and excited to kind of mull over and discuss with you oh yeah and that's what i love about you justin you are always bringing us back to sort of that grounded focus and you know when i get in the mire and always down and then granular and like ah what's going on all this stuff it's like all right that's where we are let's keep it moving let's get that hope going and keep moving along the path <laughs> and that's kind of where we go in this conversation so um i don't want to give away too much sure. so we look forward to going on this with you but again uh, deconstruction evangelicalism part three. Two, three. three. We're not sure. There's a lot. Let's go. Let's go with three. It's fun. Seems safe. <laughs> Enjoy the episode, friends. All right, so friends, last episode we talked a bit about Lindy. What was it? The different stages. Um, it basically, were it, it kind of reminds me of Richard Rohr's like um, order, disorder, reorder kind of a thing, where we talked about that My man. Par- that paradigm of like progression. What was that again? Right, right. It, it was from M. Scott Peck's A Different Drum, uh, Community Making in Peace. And he actually took it from, um, this is kind of a, a you know, you got to go through the genealogy of all this, but it, it kind of took it from James Fowler, who was down at Emory University, Candler School of Theology, who looked at spiritual formation, who also was informed by Lawrence Kohlberg up at Harvard, when he was doing work on moral development back in the sixties and the early seventies, but all, both of those guys had six stages. Um, Peck basically reduced them down to four. Right. And so, you know, it's the whole idea and we'll talk about it in just a second, but the whole idea of community chaos, emptiness and uh, I'm sorry, pseudo community chaos, emptiness and true or authentic community. And so we, we had talked about that and essentially, I think I had said something about, or I've said before, right? I think a lot of people, like, I think deconstruction is really healthy. I think it's good um, to begin to deconstruct some of the things and really push back against um, some of the things that ought to be rightly pushed back against. Um, but also one of the, not a new phenomenon either. Well, right. Um, but I think you're right. But I think what's being pushed back against is the new thing, right? And that's oh, yeah. where it's a new way. Recon- right, right, right. And so the new, like the new reconstruction, if you will, as far as like, all right, we've deconstructed a lot of these things with evangelicalism. Now we're we've got these pieces, right? I guess I'm more comfortable with order, disorder, reorder, 
mm-hmm. and so like the disorder being the deconstruction and then the reordering it's like well let's reconstruct something beautiful and i think from my experience a lot of people that get to deconstruction then they have all these pieces but they don't ever really they it, it, it's a dangerous thing on some level like i think it's really good and healthy but on another level people can get stuck in the cycle of just critiquing ad nauseum or ad infinitum right they never really get they're so content and intent on making sure that their deacon the things they've deconstructed and found wrong or like labeled as such and that they never really kind of i guess shift their posture if you will towards something beautiful right it's like okay well i've i'm I've, i'm done beating the drum of deconstruction and complaining now i want to build something beautiful and i don't think a lot of people get there yeah but i think we still got to focus on well not not focus but i think we still need to like give some sort of credence to like the validity of deconstructing and and the moment of health i think the danger is like yeah staying there you can't live in like you know, when you go in a house and you got to go do some, you know, repo or not repo, I guess. Uh, what is that called in the beginning where they just go in and just like tear everything down? Demo, demo, demo. like Demolition. repo, but very different, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> no, but for real. No, and that's what I I'm saying. I don't want to be like, repossessed. But like, uh, yeah, yeah, both yeah, yeah. terrible feelings, but, uh, but also kind of fun to do some demo. But you got to like tear all that stuff down, take it down to the studs. You know what I'm saying? And then, but you can't live in that forever. Like it's freeing. It's great. You may be like, oh my gosh, I've had fresh air for the first time in a very long time, but then you need to continue. But I think like you've seen our like millennials kind of on down, like generation kind of go through a lot of like, or come through and go on a journey with a lot of baggage and dealing with like the purity culture I mean, look at like specific like ideologies right now, even and how extreme certain things are and like both ways. But like like the code switching and the you're a true Christian if you're X, Y and Z, which is so social. But like you're just putting all the stuff on there like you got to deconstruct that. You got to break that stuff away and get down and, you know break down the metaphor to be honest you got to get back to it and realize what is that centering thing you know what i'm saying and then build it out and go or evolve i guess i guess i guess boy there's a lot of things kind of racing through my mind and um because this is such a fruitful and interesting topic and focus at some level i think um it's not a new thing at all. Like you guys said, I mean, this has been going on since the dawn of humanity. Um, you know, people telling them that others, that they should be a certain way. And those people being kind of, um, gas lighted and then waking up and recognizing they don't have to be, and then tearing apart that, which was kind of placed upon them. I mean, you know, almost all major religions wrestle with this. I mean, you know, you could even look at issues of conversion and repentance being about this and waking up to things. I mean, the enlightenment of of the Buddha and I mean, all these sorts of things. Right. Um, At another level, I think that, you know, it is kind of new, Justin, like you're saying, because we've got this new kind of evangelical construct that's kind of been placed upon us. But as a Christian, I don't. I mean, deconstruction is at the heart of what we're about. I mean, you know, um, 
as you know, as we approach each and every year, um, you know, Lent and and Holy mm-hmm. Week and Easter, you know, you're talking about a march toward a deconstructive act. I mean, the center of our our faith system, you can't have Christianity, in my opinion, unless you have um, Jesus and the cross. This is why I love Lindy and bringing the us back. the cross. Yeah, the. The, the cross is is just all about deconstruction. I mean, you know, if, if this went down easy from a human standard, I mean, you know, the, the, the political execution and death instrument that the cross was in the Roman world, Jesus wouldn't have wound up on a cross if he wasn't turning over tables in more than just what was going on in the outer right. court of the, of the temple. I mean, he, he started, I mean, you know, in the, in the gospel of Mark, you have in the sixth First of the third chapter of sixteen chapters, the um, the leaders, the religious leaders, gather to the side. The text tells us this is in the third chapter, and they plot to to see how they can kill him. I mean, this is and 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 Jesus marches toward that. I mean, Luke nine fifty one, he resolutely sets his face to Jerusalem so that he might be taken up. I mean, the entire thing is about deconstructing the system that is imperial and, and death-oriented to nail us. You can't have Christianity without oh. deconstruction. So, you know, it's kind of funny when people push back at deconstruction. I get it. It's a new word. I mean, you know, you're lifting it from French philosophy and Jacques Derrida and whatever. But I, I dare say that most of the people that talk about deconstruction in our world have never, they wouldn't know who Derrida right. is. So they're not being fed by that. The whole idea is you got to pull things apart. And this kind of entire kind of um, mechanism or, or construct that's been laid upon us, it doesn't fit. It's, I mean, to use another Old Testament biblical me- metaphor, um, this is Saul's armor. It just doesn't fit us. And so you got to take it off. You got to deconstruct that. You got to, you got to, you got to pull it apart. So for me, um, deconstruction is as old as humanity, and for Christians, it's easily as old as Christianity. It's at the center of what of what Jesus did, and it's, it's the center at the center of what we are called to do. I mean, the word metanoia, repentance, literally means to turn around with a change of mind. I mean, that's a deconstruction of, of a mindset. Exactly. I mean, it goes back to, I mean, we've had countless conversations on this. I know I'm usually the one that brings it up. So I guess I should get some new material or something, but that actionable grace, you know what I'm saying? Like, like that in itself is a deconstructive act and both at the same time, a reconstructive act, which I think is so cool in lots of ways. And that is at the heart of the call of the church. And you said you've talked about systems so many times. Like when you take that on, like when you have to be an actionable grace that is coming up against a system, when you realize like you've created, you've become your own golden calf, right? You've created your idols, you know, prayer, you know, can be its own like idol, right? Like anything can be like a prayer, five-step prayer model type thing or X, Y, Z can be, let alone, like, like the thing is you need to check your metaphor, your starting point in so many ways and how that's guiding you and realizing like you need to reconstruct some of that, tear that stuff down um, because of the systems that you're in are completely like reinforcing and 
like pushing things towards certain ends that are not neutral. And like the call of the church is to deconstruct and be that action grace and consistently well, and, turning that in. And to clarify, so I, I mean, you, you talk about metaphor. I mean, you know, when we're trying to talk about God, yeah, we're always talking about the ineffable, the indescribable, the um, does not reduce to language. Yeah. That's not um, an, a, a statement of unfaith that I'm making. It's a statement of faith that God is bigger than anything we can ever think. God is greater than any way we can ever describe God, that any categories we use, any metaphors we use are never going to completely fit. They will always be Saul's armor for, you know, the 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 God who is is of a different shape and a different form and a different variety. So we can only do I remember um you know we all three had a, a a professor, a colleague of mine, Dr. Eloise Manessis, her father, the anthropologist and missiologist Paul Hebert, used to reference 1 Corinthians 13. And he, he used to talk about, um, he said, you know, he quote this verse from Paul, um, we see in a, in a glass darkly. He says, but we do see, he mm. went on to add to Paul, but we do see in a glass darkly every place and everything we do and everything we describe is going to be a stab at the truth. It's not going to be the truth itself. And we always are going to be using metaphors. Um, you know, God's like a father. God's like a, you know, Jesus is like a sheep or a, like a shepherd. We're like sheep. Um, God is like water, living water. We got all, you know, Jesus is the rock. All of those are marvelous metaphors, and they give us a, a great understanding. But of course, Jesus is not a rock. <laughs> Jesus came and embodied and was a human. Mm -hmm. But also, even the whole issue of Jesus, the second person of the of the of the triune God, it's hard to to describe that with language. You know, you got this entire theological um, kind of movement in the past. Um, Kierkegaard used to, used to embrace it, but there were many, many who said this apophatic tra tradition, which says we actually almost can't say who God is because our language is so limp and weak. We actually have to say well, who God isn't. You know, God is not a uh, tyrant. God is not a Nazi. God is not a fascist. God is not a terrorizer. Um, now, I'm not saying that, that I agree with a full-throated, apophatic understanding. I do believe we can say some things about God because Jesus was God, and we can see Jesus, and we can enter, enter into relationship with right. Jesus. But our words do fail us. And I think because our words fail us and because language won't contain all this, we're going to have to deconstruct our language all the time. We're going to have to de deconstruct our, our thought processes and our, our, our philosophies all the time. That's why Paul, for instance, in Colossians, warns us against philosophy. It's not that if you read Paul, Paul's not afraid to philosophize. It's not like Paul can't wax eloquently philosophically and that that's bad. I mean, the first 11 chapters of Romans is a, some deep philosophy, my friends. But what Paul is warning about us about is that Sophia, that wisdom that's of the world, that is a construct that doesn't fit easily with God. And that's why Paul starts off in Romans 12 by saying in the second verse, to not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the what? The renewing of our minds. That's deconstruction, right? So right. we don't need a license for deconstruction. 
We believe in deconstruction because we believe in the gospel. Jesus was the great deconstructor. That's why he marched to Jerusalem to deconstruct. And the way he did it is he even, and we, we looked at this, you know, last season's episodes, he even deconstructed what power looked like. He showed us power that was, so by the human standards, was weak. He showed us um, opposition that didn't use right. violence. Yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on. He's deconstructing our concept of what greatness is. You know, again, Holy Week, Good Friday. You know, I mean, if it's in any other story, that is not a good day. <laughs> but because it teaches us what good is, it, it, it's not just ironic. It's actually reteaching us, reconstructing our ideas of what um, goodness is, what it means to be tov in, in Hebrew, what good looks like. Remember, you know, God came and called things good. Mm, um, yeah. And this is a good, this is a tov Friday. But it's different than what we expected. I mean, you know, um, that's why the very people that ushered Jesus in as a royal um, entry on Palm Sunday, just a five days later, have him nailed to a cross. He deconstructs their whole idea and they won't deal with it. So deconstruction is all about what we're about. And I think tying it in, Justin, to what you were talking about in regard to Peck is um, Peck recognized that... um, Quite often, deconstruction causes us not to be real with each other. It causes us to to play games and to not be honest. Because when you start deconstructing, you 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 start asking dangerous questions. I mean, Jesus asked dangerous questions, right? If you look through Mark chapter two, up through the first six verses of chapter three, and I I just re- referenced uh, Mark three six just a little bit ago. <clears throat> Jesus has like uh, five different sets or episodes of things he's doing with the disciples where he keeps getting interrogated by the, the, the Pharisees and the, the, the keepers of the law and whatever, because they're trying to, to trick him, to trap him. It's entrapment. And he keeps answering in ways that just blow their, their constructs out the door. Like, you know, he's the Lord of the Sabbath, or is it right to eat uh, on 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 the Sabbath, well, would you rescue your ox on the Sabbath? He keeps asking all these questions. The last six verses in chapter three, he's the one that asks them a question whenever they are watching to see if he's going to heal the guy on the Sabbath. He looked and he says, is it right? Is it good to do? Is it right to do good or to do bad on the Sabbath? And if you look, they don't even know how to answer. He heals the guy. And that's his answer to them. And that's when they plot to kill him. So, I mean, all of this is about deconstruction. And the problem is in in a system like evangelicalism, it has surrendered to the constructors. It isn't willing to deconstruct. It doesn't want to repent. It doesn't want to turn around. And that is is why um, you don't have to justify deconstruction. Now, not all deconstruction is proper. Like we said in last season, you, our deconstruction has got to be centered on our deconstructor, on, the, on this story. It's got to be Christocentric, remember? But So not all deconstruction is right, but deconstruction as such is a holy path. It is at the center of the gospel. I totally agree. So I think two things, like one, I think fun fact, two, two, two fun facts. First fun fact Best playlist or no top five playlist I've ever had it was named the Asthmatic Apophatic 
literally because of Kierkegaard and that you know mm-hmm. negative theology. So there's an Odin fun fact of the day, but also like one of my favorite sayings is that like Jesus will take you as you are, but he won't leave you there. Right. Um, and so I think that's kind of that journey and where we're going all the time um, is that we're always like on that pilgrimage to, to continually be that actual grace to continually self empty, to be transformed through these actions. Right. And so like, I think, our call in a way is to like continually deconstruct and the search of imaging and reconstructing at the same time, like tinkering never. Cause I think when you stop doing that on some level, not deconstructing, but when you stop in that progress, like that's where like you get complacent and that's like what lines the path to me to apathy in lots of ways and so I think it's super, super important. And I think that goes back to when you talked about, who is it, Greg Peck, I think, right? Scott and Peck. That, in, Scott, in Peck. Scott Peck, sorry, not Gregory Peck. <laughs> Very different, yeah, but also yeah. famous Peck. Um, but yeah, so I think with that, I think where do we go from here, right? So how how do we kind of reconstruct and continue on and like find ways like obviously like-minded deviance right like that's sort of implied in kind of our mission and what we're doing like in order to continue to do that like there's no way you can reconstruct because of the main dominant so i i really feel like this is at the heart of like the thesis of who well, we I, are in lots of ways so how you have to yeah. be in that how do we do it i think that um well, first off, you know, there's a couple of other things. I won't go into it much, but people can kind of look at it themselves. Um, um, there, deconstruction of the variety we're talking about really often reminds me of Kurt Lewin's change model, where it's a three-phase step um, where you, you unfreeze your old way of thinking, you move to a new way of thinking, and then you re-kind of congeal, you refreeze. To, to set yourself in different patterns. And in order to unfreeze, you've got to be dissatisfied with the old situation, right? We don't want to move unless we're, un, you know, you don't want to jump out of the boat into the ocean unless it's really sinking like the Titanic. That's right? real. So unless you know, I mean, that's part of the problem with the Titanic historically, you know, 1912, people didn't want to get out because this is the greatest unsinkable ship that'll ever be. So nobody really believed it. So they weren't dissatisfied and they went down with it, so many of them. But, and that's why they didn't have enough lifeboats and all this kind of stuff. I mean, that metaphor is really powerful, but you've got to be dissatisfied, discomfortable and upset with the old structure. That'll make you unfreeze. And I think a lot of our young millennials on down evangelicals are dissatisfied, upset and frustrated. I know I am. And that then unfreezes you. But then the second thing you need is you need to have a new vision. You need to have a, a, a thing to move to, right? And it's something to freeze back into. You can't just be fluid all the time. You've got to have rituals and rites and patterns and ways of going about life and habits and things like that. That's that's very that important. Cosmic homelessness. Yeah, you can't have you can't have a cosmic homelessness. That's an excellent way of putting it. Or the old Peter Berger book, The Homeless Mind, right? Um, you know, we can't be homeless and where we, uh, you know, since Durkheim, we call this anomie and an absence of any central kind of tonal uh, reason for why we're living. So we've got to, we've got to have a new vision, a new inspiring thing. That's why, you know, when, when, whether you liked him or di- didn't like him, that's why Obama got a lot of traction out of hope, right? To have hope for the future, 
to cast this forward. People are not only dissatisfied, but this is something they'll move toward. And then, and then to get the movement going, you've got to have safety of the trestle. You've got to have a way to go from the that the ship that you're dissatisfied with to the hopeful ship that possibly will be a lot better. You've got to be able to cross across. There's got to be safety and possibility. And that's kind of what Lewin's um, model showed us. And we see the same sort of thing in regard to paradigm shifts with Thomas Kuhn in his famous idea. You know, you, once you, 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 know, you do science, you do all this stuff, and then when it doesn't work anymore, when it's not solving major problems, like what we see in the environmental movement, right? I mean, business and, 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 and geopolitical um, global capitalism is raping and pillaging our, our planet. And it's, it's taken us down. So we can no longer just do normal science and, and, and tweak the system. We got to get a new system. We got to look for new paradigms. We got to shift. Then we get into what Kuhn talked about being uh, crisis science where it's not, the idea isn't to solve problems, it's to find a new ship, to find a new way to live. So that's the whole thing. But then this, again, this, this Scott Peck model, because, you know, a, a lot of times what we end up doing is you get in, you get the pseudo community where we're all afraid to bring things up. You know, we're the, 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 we're not the little boy in front of the naked emperor. We're the crowd that doesn't pay attention to the boy or we're the crowd before the boy came on the scene. We pretend the king or the, em uh, the, the emperor has clothes on and we just pretend. And what Peck says is when we all kind of operate in that way, kind of like pseudo community is what he calls it. The Greek word pseudas means lie. So it doesn't mean people are lying, but it's not truthful community. What you're trying to do is avoid getting in arguments with each other. You're trying to avoid difference. You're trying to pretend everybody's hmm. the same. But, you know, you can only do that for so long. And anybody that's had a significant other, anybody that's lived in a family with a bunch of siblings, I mean, both of you guys know this and having siblings, um, having family, we're all married, all this kind of stuff. Eventually, you're, you're going to you're, you're not going to be able to pretend anymore. And Peck says with them, when right. that happens, you, you launch into chaos. You then start to really duke it out. And when you really start to duke it out, um, you know, you, you basically can't live there anymore. You've got to either go back into pseudo community or you got to go forward into emptiness where you, un, uh, you, you, um, put down your weapons, unilateral disarmament, you're willing to empty, you, you stop trying to fix, heal and convert the other person, but you try to listen to them. And he says, the fruit of that will be community. And, um, and, and often also, um, what Peck says is he says that the the stages just under them are freaked out by the one just above them. So stage one people are freaked out by the fundamentalists and probably are helped by them. The fundamentalists are freaked out by the secularists. You know, it, it, they skeeve it because they just think it's sure. awful. You've lost your faith. The secularists don't know what to do with the mystics. Also, the stage two and the stage four people are really... Um, quite often they can use similar language, but the stage two people, again, don't even know stage four is there. So they read the stage four mystics as if they're losing their faith and they're becoming secular, but they're not because mm, the stage four like people. in revelations. Yeah. I mean, it's in the Bible all over the place. I think this, I think the fundamentalist Pharisees were reacting to mystical Jesus 
But I also think the Sadducees, who didn't believe in the resurrection and intended to be a bit more secular, if there was such a thing back then. I mean, I'm not, I, you know, secularism, Western secularism wasn't back then. But nonetheless, they were freaked out by Jesus, too. And I think the, the thing is, as you go through deconstruction, I think deconstruction is moving us along this path. And for me, what I pray for us and for our listeners is that we move on and we become mystical people. Of, of people that, again, you're talking metaphors, Jam, you're going to end up with um, metaphors that are you know, it's like the Trinity, right? Three and one, one and three. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the bread and the wine becomes the, the body and blood. We get a, you know, a lot of the stuff becomes mystical and almost does not give itself over to easy language, right? It's the language yeah, of mystics. It's the tacit. Right? Yeah. It literally is like dwelling in the tacit in so many ways. And I think God, the tacit is like the, the not like it's the in between zone, it's that inter that interchange of it all in a weird way. I don't, again, words can't in a lot of ways fully describe that in itself in its own definition, just besides like words can't describe it, but it's at that heart. It's that meaning creation area. That's where the tacit is. And that's why it's so important, which is governed by metaphors, which is done in language, which is inherently not social. And so that goes in a big way. That's how we image this God another metaphor is only done by having an array of metaphors of all tongues, all tribes, all nations, seeing God and trying to image God and manifesting this, this actionable grace in all of these manifestations. And that's such a beautiful thing. And it's only done by action. And you know what I think, and this is my own view. uh, Peck doesn't say this, but I, I just want to try this on for size, see what you guys think. I think stage one, two, and three that Peck talks about can all get pretty ensconced in wooden metaphors. I mean, stage one, everything's about the person, right? So their metaphors are just their own world. I mean, they have kind of like a private language of good, and if it's not good to them, forget it. But stage two people, it's all about wooden literalism. It's no wonder that the inerrantists are in this circle right? Because they just can't fathom something that isn't battened down in regard to language. And, you know, do you take the Bible literally? By wooden, do you mean rigid? Very rigid, right? Okay, sorry, I just wanted to make sure I was tracking. Yeah, I'm very rigid with language, very rigid with uh, with metaphors. They'll say, do you, haven't you, I mean, you guys have had this question posed to you before by people who were trying to chase you down. Do you take the Bible literally? Well, I mean, you know, the oh, yeah. Bible says the trees of the field will clap their hands. I mean, surely we're not always supposed to take the literal. Uh, you know, the, the the biblical writer knew that trees didn't have hands. I mean, come on, right? So, I mean, there's a lot of ways. I mean, uh, you know, Jesus, when God is is envisioned as being like a hen who's trying to gather uh, the, the hen the the chicks under under you know the hen's wing, God's not really a chicken. I mean, you know, we know that. Right. The kingdom of God isn't really a mustard seed in a tree. I mean, you know, right. so, I mean, we know that. So do you take the Bible literally? No, not where it's supposed to be. Well, how do you know? You've got to discern it. You've got to allow this, the mystical spirit of God has got to help you in community to, to, to discern this. And I think the stage two people do that. But 
the stage three people do the same thing with their science because nobody can live without what Peter Berger calls a plausibility structure. And it makes sense. Right. It's what he called a sacred canopy. And their sacred canopy mm -hmm. is empirical rationalism, right? It's human endeavor of engineering that says that we are smart enough and clever enough to stem our way out of confusion, right? To, to use our science. And that is that doesn't allow for metaphor and mysticism either, because metaphor is ever since Aristotle, it's explaining what you don't know by way of resorting to what you do know, right? And right. and but there's always difference, right? If it's not if there's no difference, you're not. A, why don't you, you know? They're the same thing. So in a sense, metaphor by itself is a mystical um, apparatus, and so stage four people. Hmm. recognize that metaphors have their place because they point to something, kind of like a, a finger pointing to the moon, right? If we confuse sure. the finger with the moon, we're going to not see what we're really supposed to be looking at. So metaphors point you to the truth. They are not the truth. And stage four mystics recognize that. Stage two, stage three, stage one, they get all mired in concrete, rigid, interpret you know literalism, and I I don't think now does that mean that all things in the Bible are figurative? No, I think Jesus had a real body. I mean, I think the story doesn't make any sense. The crucifixion surely doesn't make any sense if it doesn't. But you know, that's because the narrative requires that. It's not because I'm trying to protect the scriptures. The scriptures can protect themselves because they're mystically filled with the spirit of God and they have all of the mystical metaphor that can explode and deconstruct our lives. That's what the story does. I mean, our entire system's about deconstruction. So practically speaking though like what is what's our role here as lmd right so we've kind of laid out yeah like out um, of the justification like we've, well, we've laid out a, a justification for hey deconstruction's already like foundational to the faith itself right right um we've examined these different systems we've talked about m scott pecks um we've looked at even briefly kind of richard Rohr. Right. you've mentioned another lindy so we've looked at these different things in this, and this and i like the last one um as far as kind of going narcissism you know stage one stage two stage three and then stage four kind of the pinnacle and kind of the desirable aspect um and i think everyone would agree stage one not great um stage two probably also not great. but better stage than three is but stage two is better well, than stage sure. one and three yeah. is better than let's stage not put value mm -hmm. that's not yeah, put no, value. I, it's just it's just a continuation but uh, well i but i think inherently there is Progress. value in those yeah. in in Fair those enough. like i i mean i think like nine and me yeah it's like, anyone who's not a win? narcissist is inherently like better than a narcissist mindset wise so i think we can feel free to like put that value judgment there um, and ultimately, I think kind of we've already made the statement, we've made the value judgment about stage four right. by saying, hey, deconstruction is great. Don't get stuck at stage three. Right. Like, let's get to stage four. And I think, Lindy, you had talked about Obama earlier as far as like one of the things that he did was kind of galvanize hope. Right. Um, and and I think maybe that's something I want us to kind of explore together is we've talked about, Hey, we don't want you at stage one. We don't want you at stage two. And we don't, we don't want you stuck at stage two, but we also don't want you stuck at stage three. Like we want you to get to stage four. But, but I think part of what you touched on when you mentioned Obama's kind of galvanizing this hope and change is that people don't really know how to move forward, especially 
if you're stuck in evangelicalism, if you're stuck in a stage two, it's not like evangelicalism doesn't teach you to be critical of the things and, and, um, kind of theology and what, and dogma essentially that's being handed to you. Well, it's, it's worse than that. It tells you not to, it scolds you. Exactly. Exactly. So essentially it's like, Hey, here's this list of like mental ascent, right? You need to check all these boxes, Jesus, son of God, accept him in, accept him into your heart. All these, it's like, Oh, you'll go to heaven. Great. But like, that's not like great. So we want people to like move beyond stage two to three and ultimately four, but they're not really taught how to do that. Right. And so even if they're dissatisfied, they're not really sure how to deconstruct. Okay. I'm a dissatisfied too. How do I get to three? I just leave the faith. I don't know what that looks like. Or even if they are kind of allowed to deconstruct, there isn't, again, this clear way forward to reconstruct. And you need a community in order to maintain any, like, ergo like-minded deviance, right? You need a community in order to maintain any deviation from the norms, which we talk about, you know, those that sold out for their 20 pieces of power right now. Sure. You know what I'm saying? And that's what a lot of that system that we grew up in did. Well, and that's what they've been built on. I think I think there's a couple things that this does answering, you know, um, uh, responding to your your question, Justin. I think um, first off to recognize that at least if we follow Peck, and I do, um, that stage two is a better an advancement over stage one. So it's like fundamentalism Absolutely. has its value, and it does deal. It's kind of like military, you know, kind of. A disciplinary boot camp, right? You know, it's like um, you got to clean everything up. And when people are only living for themselves, it's it's a, it's helpful that they're starting to live for something else. But it becomes rigid and and policed, and it's under surveillance. It scolds you. It lends itself to hierarchies, and it's very very susceptible to abuse of power. And that's why then people run to right. stage three whenever they start to deconstruct. Because, you know, you got, in a sense, you got a deconstruction of narcissism that leads you into stage two, but then you have to de- deconstruct the system that is keeping you under surveillance. Who wants to live in, in spiritual boot camp all the time? Who wants to be yelled at by the spiritual sergeant all the time? Who wants to hate right. everybody that's not exactly like you, especially when you start following Jesus and it doesn't match the story? And so you cast it all off, right? And then you become... Um, an emptiness secular person. Well, you don't really, because you, right. you, no one can be completely empty. So they basically give over to the spirit of the age, which is rationalism and empiricism. Hmm. We, it, you know, it's about what nothing. we're thinking and what we can experience, right? But, but again, mysticism says, you know, our thinking is is not just um, cogs in our head that are kind of moving around and doing the right thing all the time, or empiricism sometimes. We don't understand even what we're experiencing or we don't experience all right. the reality. So what ends up yep. happening is that stage three thing ends up um, making us anti-religion and therefore we're anti-mysticism and we elevate and idolize um, human ability and technological advance and human systems mm. like capitalism and, and, and Marxism or like um, Americanism and nationalism or money sure. or all the things. And that's all you're left with. And you're, and you think that that's the top thing. So our, and, and the big bugaboo, the big demon is the stage two fundamentalism. Definitely it's a problem, but stage three has its own problems. And, you know, and right. in a sense, 
we can see it whenever you, and this is what you were referring to, I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. If it's all about deconstruction, we're going to end up with no reconstruction. We're going to end up right. with just shards and things lying all over the floor. And our, again, Durkheim called this anomie, an absence of any moral center. And then, you yeah. know, we'll end up like um, in the middle at the end of the book of Judges where there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And we see this. We end up with the balkanization and the, the radical kind of tribalization of our societies. And we end up in silos and only listen to each. It's not like we all, um, it's all rainbows and unicorns, right? It's we end up right. hating each other. And I mean, people like Michel Foucault, the great French theorist, says, ultimately, you know, writing on the back of Nietzsche said, ultimately, we're end up, it's all going to be reduced to power. It's going to be reduced to whoever yeah, can beat the other true. person. Because ultimately, there's Which, no final truth. Well, and I would even I would even say beyond that, Liddy, is because it's boiled down to power. I think if someone's stuck in stage three, they they actually the value judgment they make when they're looking back is because they're stuck in stage three and they're not able to kind of get to that. This is essentially the lament that we started with is you, you're so stuck in this one stage, you can't move forward right. and re mm. reconstruct, rebuild something beautiful. If you're so stuck in stage three, you still do actually equate stage two on the same moral value judgment of stage one. Right. It, okay, great. You're not a narcissist, but you buy into this evil That's system right. and I can only see the negative, evil, awful things. And you can't, again, it is the baby with the bathwater kind of a thing. And, and I think a lot of people, and, and, and I, I was there, not, this isn't to be like, oh, I'm better now. Or, but there was a point in my life whenever I struggled to see the benefits of evangelicalism because I was so burnt and, and hurt that everything was negative and and I've I've kind of matured and progressed since then and can kind of say no that's not that's not true there are good things and yes even you know kind of looking and critiquing the system of stage 2 but not saying nah, stage two is just as bad as a bunch of narcissists i think that's absurd and really kind of probably a, a hallmark of someone who's not really in a posture or preparedness to move into stage four anytime in the near future. Well, I think a stage four print uh, position says that um, you're absolutely right. Two is better than one. And so it will critique stage three emptiness when it starts getting full of itself and all cocky and utterly blaming of any religiosity within the confines of church and kind of throwing the baby out mm -hmm. with the bathwater saying that all evangelicalism is nothing about diabolical, you know, um, um, sure. bad intent. We know that's not true if you're really honest. But here's the other thing. Stage four person will still see that stage three has some kind of right to say that at some level because they've been deeply wounded by stage two and that sure. it is an advance. That deconstructive movement is a good movement. Even at, I, I used to say to my wife, whenever she, you know, we, we wrestled with, so everybody deserves a good faith crisis here and then. Here, you know, now and then, because, um, you know, you've got to deconstruct, you've got to, God, I mean, the God that I believe is a kind of, as a mystical Christian can handle our deconstruction, can handle sure. our doubts, mm -hmm. can handle our, our emptiness. But what ends up happening is if you think that emptiness is all that you have, you won't move on to stage four and a deeper element. Two things happen. First of all, it ends up reducing itself to human reason because you can't live without a moral center without a, a, a center of reality. You've got to center life and good in something. And you tend to center it into human faculties and our ability. And we know that, I mean, you look around. I mean, we, we've fashioned 
atom bombs and atomic reactors and, um, you know, uh, raping and pillaging and, uh, and plundering the earth to, uh, through coal and through, um, you know, deforestation and whatever, we're, we're screwing up the garden. And that is not religious yeah. people doing that. That is, um, you know, modernist, scientific, industrial people doing this. This is, the, this is a, a benefit, so-called, of the industrial age. And we've got to move past that. But what ends up happening is that you end up, if you can see stage four is there, that you can be patient with stage three people. I'm reminded, right. it's kind of a funny thing. Way back in 1995, the social theorist who's since passed away, Christopher Lash, wrote in a book called The Revolt of Elites and the Betrayal of Democracy, his last book, he said this. I thought it was pretty interesting. Very short little quote. He And this is way back in 95 when he was talking about students in the university. He says, I think that students are put off by the prevailing mode of cultural criticism, which easily degenerates into a species of cynicism. And that's stage three. As Kimball says, he says, for, for which nothing is properly understood until it is exposed as corrupt, duplicitous, or hypocritical. So in other words, in stage three, we'll tend to think we, we constantly, we won't receive anything. We won't reconstruct anything. You don't understand everything, anything until you can show it as being base and duplicitous and hypocritical and corrupt. I mean, we can't look at all of life as being corrupt, duplicitous, and hypocritical. That's going to rot our souls. We've got to see good somewhere. We've got to start putting things back together. We've got to be to, to be living for something, and that's why, um, you know, in I see the beauty in yeah, the creation. Well, and that's why the Lewin idea of casting—you've got to have a casting forth of a beautiful vision of hope, something you can mm, become. Mm. Um, I mean, this is what Rohr calls, you know, um, reorder, right? And yeah. um, you've got to put it back together. Now, when you say put it back together, I think as a mystic, it's not just we who put it back together. We cooperate with God. God helps us yeah. to be healed. God helps well, us to be There's a letting reformed. go. Yeah. Well, well, I think there's a, there's a like, not, to, again, to go to a metaphor, but there's sort of a Neo moment in the Matrix where it's like, oh, I'm going to like stop these bullets that were just shot at me and realized like I can do this and drop it now. Like I am, or who is it? Carl Bart that talks about, I'm going to stand up out of the waiting pool, you know, and, and I'm not drowning kind of a right. thing. Mm -hmm. um, like, I think we realized like you're missing the point if that's what you're focused on and you're worried about it. Right. Like the real thing is like, existing and being now in this actionable grace and growing and this earnest and real thing mm -hmm. and not trying to hem in i think the creator of all that is does that make sense and i think you have to push against it and i think like that really brings us to a really like great pausing point for this because i think what you need to do is i think you need to pause and you need to really think about all right we need to have an episode on what it means to re re, um, reconstruct and what can be, right? So we've talked about the importance right. of it. I think that needs to happen, like like a reaction to what was the social dominant now. And I think next week or next episode, that's probably what we'll put out, is like, let's reconstruct. What is that? What, what could that be? How can we be? And, you know, 
what was what does it look like to be a like uh, a community of like-minded deviants i think it's, i think it's a great one as a great direction and great trajectory because using peck's model essentially you know we can explore a little bit more of the difference between stage two and stage three but people kind of know that if they're involved in the deconstructive process but sure. what is the difference between stage three and stage four right it's again just like stage three people like justin you just mentioned a little bit ago don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. The stage three people need to not throw chuck out stage two. Stage two people need to stay close to stage one people and not look down their nose at them either. But stage four sure. people had best not chuck out the um, the secularists, the empty people, right? They've got to understand mm-hmm. them. They got to recognize, but they need to actually make kind of till the soil so that um, people can advance. And I do think it's a vict a, 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 a kind of a a, a victory or a, a result of of grace on the part of God. I don't think it's something you achieve. You don't build it. It's a gift. But I think you can, just like a mm. farmer can till the soil, you can actually figure out how to put yourself in such a place that will allow you to see the world as re-enchanted. You know, to see yeah. see things, see the, the, the cosmos as sacramental. See it as the the abode of God, right? And I think yeah. that's what we want. And those that don't want to, that's fine. That that's another thing about stage four. It's not a place of controlling. It's a place of mysticism. So if people right. want to stay in stage two, three, that's fine. We're not going to try to control. That's a stage two impulse. We don't want to do that, but we want to beckon and call and say we want to head a certain way. If you'd like to come. We're on our way to something. We're not just running right. away from something. Yeah. And I think that again is like giving people hope that's inspiring people. And I think honestly, it's interesting. I think you're right that we need to do kind of essentially this analysis of and, and comparison almost of three and four. Right. But, but I also, I think in that process, it needs to be a comparison of two and four. Right. Because, again, there's this aspect of two is, hey, here's your here's your, here's what you believe. Memorize it. Don't forget it. Don't question it. Um, and, and, it and four is not that. Nope. It's, it is much more of it's not just about belief. It is about this action. It requires us. You know, there's there's An a reason I often grace. and we've talked about before about like what is required of us as apprentices of Jesus. Um, and dis, you know, what does it mean to be a disciple, not just a follower or a believer pilgrim. of Jesus? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and a, pil- a pilgrim on, on the way together. And so I think like analyzing that will be really helpful for us as well. Um, and will hopefully help encourage some people that are in stage two to begin to lean into the deconstruction, because I think there is an aspect of needing. And, and really, Important. I've been thinking this whole time we're talking about the the, the self-emptying uh, of stage three. And I'm like, yes, it is ironically, essentially this like neoliberal perspective of, and this like hyper-modernist approach. But at the same time, I can't help but think that it's incredibly, and again, we've, we've said this, but it keeps reminding me of kenosis and that canonical passage of the self-emptying of Christ so that he could be filled. And I think we have to kind of, it's interesting how whenever you finally don't buy into fear and you let go, that you're able to actually receive something 
And it's like, we think we're holding so tightly onto God. And if we let go, we'll lose our faith and we'll lose everything that's important to us. But the irony is that our, our tight fistedness and our white knuckles are actually preventing us, many of us in stage two and three, from actually opening our hands and receiving what God actually has for us.